0: new season out on Spotify soon.
1: Welcome to Podcast Presents the Best of 2019. We have for you the most requested episodes of Unexplained Mysteries from this year. For more great episodes you may have missed, subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries. Listen free on Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts.
2: Of all the valuable gems unearthed from deep below the ground,
1: none is more precious or more coveted than the diamond. And among the various classifications of diamonds, there is none that is more precious than the elusive, naturally occurring blue diamonds, which make up only 0.1% of all diamonds in existence. Blue diamonds are uncommon.
2: Their Type 2B classification indicates that their atomic structure lacks the element of nitrogen and thus they can absorb a higher spectrum
1: of light rays. If you expose a blue diamond to UV light, it will maintain an afterglow for a few seconds, shifting from blue to green in a stunning display of light and color. Is it possible that this fantastic
2: glow indicates something more, some deeper power inherent in blue diamonds? In the 1960s, a group of scientists sought to answer that question
1: by testing the effect of light on the infamous Hope Diamond. The Hope Diamond had a history spanning over 300 years. Its legacy was the series of gruesome, tragic deaths suffered by many of its previous owners. The scientists dimmed the lights and exposed the Hope Diamond to UV light. When the experiment was done, they turned off all the lights to see how the diamond glowed.
2: The Hope Diamond didn't glow blue or even green. It cast a shade of dark, murderous red onto the scientists. Some of them were excited. They had just proved that the Hope Diamond was unique in its chemical makeup.
1: But others were concerned. menacing crimson that the diamond cast about seemed like some kind of warning, or perhaps it was a confirmation that the diamond was truly cursed.
2: In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth.
1: Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy
2: today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. We also now have merchandise. Head to parcast.com merch for more information.
1: You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of Parcast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
2: This is our final episode on the enigmatic Hope Diamond, the rare blue gem that is
1: rumored to curse all who possess it. The people who owned the diamond were each flawed in their own way. It's likely they would have met their unfortunate fates even if they'd never encountered the Hope Diamond. Could the diamond be merely a scapegoat?
2: Or could there really be a curse?
1: In our last episode, we covered nearly 300 years of the Hope Diamond's tragic history. The diamond was discovered in the
2: 1660s by the French explorer and merchant, Jean-Baptiste Tavernier, who christened the stone
1: Tavernier's Blue. Tavernier sold the gem to the Sun King, King Louis XIV of France. Louis had the diamond recut, reset, and renamed as the French Blue, and wore it until his sudden death of senile gangrene in 1715. Tavernier mysteriously disappeared, and over a hundred years later,
2: his remains would seem to indicate that he died in Russia,
1: torn apart by wild dogs. The diamond stayed in France for several decades, until, amidst the chaos of the French Revolution, it vanished in a suspected heist in 1792. The woman best known for wearing the diamond leading up to the revolution was killed by a violent mob. The gem reappeared 20 years
2: later in the London diamond market, recut and resized. It exchanged hands until it eventually ended up in the catalogue of banker Henry P. Hope, who had the stone renamed the Hope Diamond.
1: Hope's descendants squandered his fortune and ultimately sold the diamond.
2: It passed around for a number of years, seemingly bringing tragedy, ruin, and death on nearly everyone who tried to own it. Finally, in 1911, the stone
1: was sold to Ned and Evelyn McLean. In this episode, we're going to conclude Evelyn McLean's tragic story. We will discuss more recent historical investigations into the diamond's bloody legacy, and we're going to attempt to deduce whether the curse is real.
2: In a mystery like this, the possibilities are binary. Either there is a curse or there isn't. Could it be possible that all of the ruin and misfortune that has seemed to follow the diamond over the past 350 years is just a series of unrelated, unfortunate coincidences? Or could
1: there really be a curse? At the end of our last episode, Evelyn Walsh McLean was at her wits' end. Recall that Evelyn was a
2: wealthy heiress, and her husband, Ned, was also from a prominent family and was the heir to the Washington Post newspaper. Together with their son, Vincent, they were a picture-perfect example of a young, wealthy American family.
1: But in 1911, Ned purchased the Hope Diamond from jeweler Pierre Cartier as a gift for Evelyn. Evelyn was enamored with the diamond, but the substantial purchase drew unwanted public attention.
2: Cartier had relayed the diamond's sordid history to Evelyn when he was attempting to make the sale. After the McLeans bought the diamond in 1911, the New York Times published a report of the diamond's sale and wrote up a brief history
1: of the diamond's ownership and the rumors of the curse. Evelyn started hearing from concerned friends and family who urged her to get rid of the diamond. May Yohe, an actress who had owned the diamond with her husband in the early 1900s before losing their entire fortune, personally reached out to Evelyn and urged her to destroy the diamond. In her
2: own words, May expressed regret that she hadn't destroyed the diamond when she had the chance.
1: Facing this mounting pressure, Evelyn considered selling the diamond back to Cartier, but her request was refused. Perhaps
2: Cartier actually believed his own embellished story.
1: Left with few other options and not yet willing to get rid of the diamond outright, Evelyn sought out Father Russell, a Catholic priest and family friend, and asked him to perform an exorcism on the diamond. The father obliged And on a sunny day
2: in 1911, Evelyn brought the Hope Diamond to the church
1: for the ritual. Something rather bizarre happened during the ceremony. A thunderstorm materialized seemingly out of nowhere and cast the church in darkness. Lightning struck all around, splintering a tree just outside the church's front door. But when the father completed the ritual, the storm vanished as quickly as it had appeared. All seemed well. Evelyn retrieved the diamond from Father Russell. Confident that the priest had eradicated any dark spirits or dangerous curses, she returned home and decided to keep the diamond. All was good and happy for the Maclean's and no misfortunes
2: befell them for a time.
1: But in 1919, over eight years after they first laid eyes on the diamond, Ned and Evelyn suffered a terrible tragedy.
2: It was the summer, and Evelyn and Ned were planning to go to Louisville to attend the Kentucky Derby.
1: They left their three children, 10-year-old Vincent, 3-year-old John, and 10-month-old Edward, at home at their Washington, D.C. estate in the care of their nurses and servants. Just a few days before the couple was to depart for Kentucky,
2: Evelyn found herself possessed by a strong sense of foreboding. In her own words, she felt like she was going to die. Evelyn writes in her autobiography, Father Struck It Rich, quote, I could not understand what made me so blue on those days before we left for Louisville, Kentucky. My depression was complete, and as I interpreted my feelings, I was being warned that I was going to die. Something dreadful, of that I was sure, was going to happen to me. I went for the first time in my life, I think, and made a will.
1: The cloud of dread hung over Evelyn over the days leading up to the trip and even followed her to Kentucky.
2: Her premonition of a tragedy would come true, but the misfortune would not befall her or her husband.
1: On a Sunday morning in May 1919, Ned received a call at his hotel room in Kentucky. Something had happened to his son, Vincent.
2: Ned and Evelyn immediately took a train back home to D.C. They arrived back to find that Vincent was apparently fine. He had been playing outside that morning and ran across the road in front of the house. A passing Model T car accidentally ran into him.
1: Vincent seemed to have recovered from the incident. But to be safe, his parents summoned a doctor to examine him. The doctor reported that nothing was wrong with the boy, though he warned of potential internal bleeding.
2: The warning turned out to be well-founded. Shortly after the doctor left, Vincent collapsed. Within a few hours,
1: he couldn't move. By 6 p.m., just half a day after he'd been hit by the car, 10-year-old Vincent McLean was dead.
2: The New York Times ran an obituary for the boy. The headline read, McLean Air Killed by an Automobile, Another Tragedy in Wake of the Hope
1: Diamond. Though nearly a decade had passed, it seemed that Evelyn and Ned had not escaped the specter of suspicion brought on by their purchase of the diamond.
2: The McLean's public image as a cursed family only grew following Vincent's death.
1: In 1921, May Yohe wrote, produced, and starred in a 15-part movie serial titled Hope Diamond Mystery, in which she dramatized the mysterious and violent legacy of the diamond.
2: That same year, author Henry Layford Gates published May's memoirs, Mystery of the Hope Diamond, from the personal narrative of Lady Frances Hope. The book accompanied the film series and further emphasized the rumors
1: that the stone was evil. The Maclean's couldn't escape the stigma. And yet, for reasons unclear, they never tried to follow May Yohe's advice and just get rid of the thing. Maybe they knew deep down the disposing of the diamond wouldn't help. Maybe they were so wrecked by the tragic death of their son that they just didn't care. Either way, the curse of the Hope
2: Diamond would not be Evelyn and Ned's problem for much longer. Like the French kings, the suicidal merchants, and the hapless socialites before them, the Maclean's would soon meet their respective ends.
1: We will discuss the diamond's current resting place and the modern attempts to explain the
0: curse right after this. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be with a personalized plan and expert coaching anytime fitness can help make the gym less frightening get more for your gym membership than machines get personalized support anytime anywhere visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today terms conditions and restrictions apply see website for details
2: now back to the story
1: when they'd purchased the hope diamond from pierre cartier in 1911 Evelyn and Ned McLean must have felt like they had everything life could offer. They were young, rich, with a magnificent estate and a beautiful family. Over
2: the next two decades, however, their fortunes would drop lower and lower until both of them
1: were dead. The marriage struggled over the course of the 1920s. The death of their son, Vincent, had broken something in both of them. And the circulating press and various accounts about the cursed Hope Diamond made them feel as if they really were cursed.
2: Ned was scandalized in the early 1920s when he became implicated in the Teapot Dome scandal. This was an incident in which government officials undercut the United States economy by secretly leasing oil-rich fields to private companies without allowing for competitive
1: bidding. Ned, who by then was the owner of the Washington Post, was caught lying to investigators. He'd claimed he had lent money to one of the conspirators as part of an attempt to cover up the money that the men were making from the scheme. But in fact, Ned hadn't lent them any money. His paper's reputation was damaged as a result.
2: By 1929, Ned and Evelyn were separated, primarily due to Ned's infidelity. Ned spent most of
1: the divorce proceedings hiding out in Mexico,
2: living with another woman.
1: Evelyn's fortune didn't fare much better without her husband. In 1932, she was conned out of $100,000 by Gaston Means, the famous con man who claimed to be acting as an intermediary for the kidnappers of the Lindbergh baby. Means told Evelyn he needed the money to help pay the Lindbergh ransom, and then absconded with it.
2: The family fortune dwindled. The Washington Post had steeply declined under Ned's mismanagement, and he ultimately sold the paper at a bankruptcy auction in 1932 for less than a million dollars.
1: Ned didn't last much longer after he lost the paper. He was declared legally insane in October of 1933 and was confined to a psychiatric hospital.
2: Ned's diagnosis rendered him legally unfit to manage his own estate. The responsibility fell to Evelyn, who soon found herself overwhelmed with her ex-husband's numerous
1: debts. She sold off most of what remained of Ned's property, but through all the hardship, she kept the Hope Diamond. Her justification was that she could always pawn the diamond if she became truly desperate. She never reached that point. Ned McLean died of a heart attack in 1941. He was 51. Five years later, in 1946, Evelyn and Ned's
2: daughter, also named Evelyn, overdosed on sleeping pills. She was
1: only 25 years old. Evelyn did not outlive her daughter for long. In April of 1947, Evelyn Walsh McLean died of pneumonia at the age of 60. She was buried beside her daughter.
2: The diamond, it seemed, had claimed three more victims.
1: Evelyn did not die a poor woman. Despite Ned's mismanagement of his finances, Evelyn's own estate was sizable at the time of her death. Her possessions, including the Hope Diamond, were spread across her seven grandchildren but confined to a trust until they turned 25.
2: All of the grandchildren were younger than five in 1947, so the Hope Diamond should have remained untouched and sealed away for at least 20 years following Evelyn's
1: death. But the trustees amended the agreement shortly before Evelyn's death and gave themselves the right to sell jewels from her collection in order to square off her debts. In
2: 1949, Evelyn's entire collection of jewelry was sold to Harry Winston, a famous American jeweler.
1: Winston was very successful in the world of jewelry and owned a number of famous diamonds over the course of his life. Some unconfirmed reports even estimate that at one point in time, Winston owned one-third of the world's most famous diamonds.
2: When he first acquired the Hope Diamond in 1949, Winston
1: was in the process of preparing for a jewelry tour across the United States. Winston was passionate about jewelry, and he wanted to share that passion with the world. His dream was to create a place where private collectors could put their most precious jewels on display for all the world to see. He felt that even though America didn't have a monarch, there was no reason the country couldn't have its own unofficial collection of crown jewels. He showcased the
2: Hope Diamond as part of his collection from 1949 to 1953
1: and donated his proceeds from the ticket sales to charities. Now, the history of the Hope Diamond that we have discussed thus far would probably lead you to believe that something terrible was about to happen to Harry Winston.
2: But... It didn't. Winston owned the diamond for nearly a decade before he parted with it. In 1958, George Switzer, a mineralogist who worked with the Smithsonian, appealed to Winston's charitable nature and urged him to donate the Hope Diamond to the museum to be a part of the National Gem Collection.
1: Winston liked the idea. A museum of the Smithsonian stature would ensure even more people from all over the world would get to enjoy the diamond. So in late 1958, he finally agreed to donate the gem. In doing so, Harry Winston became one of the few owners of the Hope Diamond who willingly let it go. He didn't die as an owner, nor was he forced to sell the diamond to recoup a lost fortune. He merely gave it away as an act of charity.
2: Perhaps in doing so, he managed to avoid the curse's wrath.
1: Winston wanted to keep the donation out of the press until it was safely in the Smithsonian's vault. To achieve this, he mailed the diamond to the museum in a simple brown box.
2: The Hope Diamond made it safely to the Smithsonian. Harry Winston lived for 20 more years before dying of a heart attack in 1978 when he was 82. He would seem to be one of the few owners who was not negatively affected by his time with the diamond. But the Hope
1: Diamond would still claim one more victim.
2: The mailman who delivered the diamond to the Smithsonian was named James G. Todd, and he did not escape his short time with the diamond unscathed.
1: Less than a year after he handled the diamond, Todd was beset by a number of tragedies. He was a victim to two separate car crashes which crushed his leg and gave him a head wound. His dog died. His wife died of a heart attack. And to top it off, his house caught on fire and partially burned down. Despite all of that, when he was questioned by reporters about
2: whether he considered himself a victim of the Hope Diamond, Todd expressed that he didn't
1: believe in the curse. The Hope Diamond officially became the property of the Smithsonian Museum on November 10, 1958. Once the acquisition was made public, The museum received hundreds of letters from concerned citizens who urged that the diamond be destroyed, or at the very least, kept away from the public.
2: Some people even wrote letters to then-President Dwight D. Eisenhower,
1: asking him to intervene and force the Smithsonian to get rid of the diamond. The more the newspapers covered the diamond and its sordid history, the more people expressed concerns. There were some who thought that if the diamond was on display for public viewing, Then it was technically the property of the public. And therefore, the entire public was at risk of falling victim to the curse. One might call that theory far-fetched, but if we're going to expand ownership of the diamond to include the entire population of the United States, well, obviously there is a lot of misfortune that one could lay at the diamond's feet. Naturally,
2: all the coverage of the diamond and its curse made the stone a blockbuster success of an exhibit. From its first day on display, the Hope Diamond drew the attention of hundreds of visitors who lost themselves in the deep blue hue of the
1: stone. The Smithsonian Museum holds the Hope Diamond to this day, and a recent report on attendance claims that the diamond receives nearly as many annual visitors as the Mona Lisa. If the diamond is cursed, the people
2: at the Smithsonian certainly aren't feeling the effects of it.
1: So what can we really claim about the diamond and its supposed curse today?
2: Coming up, we'll discuss the recent history of scientific examinations of the stone and determine whether we think the curse is real.
1: Now back to the story.
2: The stunningly blue Hope Diamond has been on display at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. since
1: 1958. Despite the fact that it's one of the museum's most popular displays, the diamond has never been able to escape the rumor that it is somehow cursed. But could it really be cursed? As we said at the
2: beginning of this episode, this particular mystery offers two answers.
1: The diamond is either cursed or it isn't. To consider the question of whether the diamond is really cursed, we should first look into the nature of curses and our social obsession with them. Most people
2: are superstitious in some way or another. According to a 2018 poll by YouGov, about 30 percent of Americans believe in curses in some form. And the Hope Diamond, with its widely publicized history, has an air of authority to its own mystery that even leads skeptics to believe that something is not right
1: with the stone. The press's relationship with the Hope Diamond plays a large role in keeping the legend of the curse alive. We've discussed the fates of Jean-Baptiste Tavernier and King Louis XIV, the first two Europeans to possess the stone, who both died painful deaths. But there is another figure from the same time who was once believed to be another early victim of the curse of the Hope Diamond.
2: There is a story of a man named Nicholas Fouquet, a superintendent in the court of Louis XIV, who borrowed the diamond shortly before he fell out of favor with the king, was arrested for embezzlement, and
1: ultimately died in solitary confinement. Now, we didn't mention Fouquet in our last episode, despite the fact that he has long been named as one of the victims of the Hope Diamond Curse.
2: That's because he almost definitely wasn't. Fouquet was arrested in 1661, and Tavernier didn't sell the French blue to King Louis XIV until 1668. There was no
1: way he could have borrowed the diamond. Nicolas Fouquet was a false victim, He was easily proven to have had nothing to do with the Hope Diamond. And yet, his name has appeared in articles about the Hope Diamond curse, some published as recently as 2018.
2: You might wonder how Fouquet even became associated with the Hope Diamond.
1: The answer? The same 1911 New York Times article that reported on the sale of the Hope Diamond to Evelyn and Ned McLean and published a history of the Diamond's victims.
2: We mention this to illustrate that there is a lot of misinformation about the Hope Diamond, the curse, and its alleged victims, and that misinformation has only added to the suspected mystery.
1: So let's discuss the quote-unquote facts of this case. If we accept that there is a curse, then how did it begin? There are
2: a few possibilities here. Probably the most popular is that Jean-Baptiste Tavernier unleashed the curse when he first acquired the blue diamond. Recall that Tavernier claimed to have purchased the diamond, but no record of the seller
1: exists in any of his notes. It seems possible, if not likely, that Tavernier stole the diamond from a temple in India. His journaled account of the cursed thief who perished at the temple doors after trying to remove a blue diamond feels like a projection of his own fears and experiences in stealing the diamond.
2: So the question then would be whether the curse applied to Tavernier specifically,
1: or if it stuck with the diamond as it changed hands. A Tavernier's life definitely took a downward turn after he acquired the diamond. During the 1660s, Tavernier had been a rich, successful merchant, beloved by his wealthy customers in the European nobility. But in the 1680s,
2: Tavernier was exiled from his native France by anti-Protestant legislation enacted by King Louis XIV, the very man he had sold the French blue
1: to. Tavernier vanished from the history books shortly after that. It would be a hundred years before anyone found his grave in a Russian cemetery.
2: Remember, Tavernier was said to have met his demise at the hands of vicious wild dogs. But looking into the research, there's actually very little proof
1: of this. That version of the story actually comes from the 1911 New York Times article, and the writer seems to have gotten it from Pierre Cartier, the merchant who sold the diamond to the Maclean's.
2: As to the question of how Cartier came by that knowledge, well, maybe he was just really invested in making that
1: sale. So the Tavernier account is interesting, if not 100% verified. But how do you then account for all the other people who seem to have met their end because of their contact with the Hope Diamond? A second theory
2: about what caused the curse comes from an ancient Indian belief about the inherent
1: power that diamonds possess. This belief states that diamonds hold the powers of the gods. Cutting them too much runs the risk of releasing that power and even insulting the gods. But in the 1600s,
2: Europeans preferred diamonds to be cut to have sharper edges and angles. In 1673, Louis XIV had the French blue recut from its rough, natural shape to the more popular French style. In doing so, he removed nearly 42 carats of mass from the diamond.
1: If there were any godly powers held within the blue stone, Louis XIV almost certainly released them.
2: Louis XIV died of senile gangrene. His lavish spending and dedication to creating an absolute monarchy set the stage for the French Revolution that saw the end of his dynasty. In the absence of proof that Tavernier really was killed by wild dogs, Louis XIV seems to be the first confirmed victim of the Hope
1: Diamond. But again, the question remains of whether that means that the diamond carried the curse with it. After all, Francis Hope, Mayohi, and the McLeans never had the diamond cut, as far as we know. And they still suffered tragedies while in possession of the diamond.
2: On the other hand, Harry Winston did have the diamond slightly recut, reportedly to help emphasize the diamond's brilliance. And as we've said, he never seemed to suffer from any kind of great
1: tragedy. If cutting the diamond was the cause of the curse, then the curse itself would seem rather inconsistent.
2: Which leaves one more theory about what brought about
1: the curse,
2: if there was a curse at all.
1: There is one train of thought that puts forward the idea that all blue diamonds, by their nature, are cursed. They're certainly rare. But if this is true, what
2: would be the linking factor between every single diamond? After all, it's not like there are many famous blue diamonds that are also believed to be cursed. What makes blue diamonds special? What even makes them blue? In the 1960s, a group of scientists set out to answer that exact question. In
1: 1965, the Smithsonian loaned the Hope Diamond to a South African museum as part of an exhibit. A team of South African scientists was granted permission to examine the diamond under shortwave ultraviolet light to observe the diamond's phosphorescent capabilities.
2: Unlike other more common diamonds, blue diamonds contain no nitrogen but instead have trace elements
1: of boron, which give them the type 2b classifications. Type 2b diamonds can actually absorb high-energy lights and emit them for a short time after exposure. Prior to 1965, all blue diamonds were known to glow in blue or green-colored light after a period of UV exposure.
2: But when the South African scientists bathed the Hope Diamond in ultraviolet light, they were presented with a radically different
1: result. The scientists stood in darkness around the Hope Diamond, baffled by what they were seeing. The diamond didn't glow blue or green. It glowed a deep, hue of blood red.
2: The team was awestruck. None of them had ever seen anything like it before, and none of them could explain why the diamond glowed in such a unique color. Most of them assumed it was a clear signifier of the diamond's sinister curse.
1: The mystery of the Hope Diamond's red glow remained unsolved until 2008, when Jeffrey Post, the curator of gems and minerals at the Smithsonian, repeated the UV test. As before, Post's team
2: bathed the diamond in UV light. After it had emitted the mysterious red glow, the team used spectrometers to measure readings off the diamond.
1: The results were fascinating. The Hope Diamond did have a green glow, but that green glow was far less intense on the spectrum than the red peak, Post then repeated the test on a number of other blue diamonds. The
2: Hope Diamond was believed to be the first and only blue diamond that glowed red. But Post discovered that all blue diamonds glow red, just at lower intensities than the Hope Diamond, that we can't see without scientific equipment.
1: It is the size, structure, and density of the diamonds that determines which color of light we see with the naked eye.
2: Post theorized that the Hope Diamond had a higher concentration of boron than most other blue diamonds, and thus its red glow was visible to human eyes and its green glow was not.
1: Even among the ultra-rare class of blue diamonds, the Hope Diamond is unique.
2: Unique, yes, but can anyone really claim that it's cursed?
1: Based on all we've learned about the diamond's history and the elemental makeup that distinguishes it from other precious gems, I'd say no, there is no curse.
2: Consider the personalities that would be drawn to a gem so big and valuable. Louis XIV wouldn't have somehow been a better king if he'd never come across the diamond. The French Revolution would still have happened.
1: Francis hope would have splurged his money away with or without the diamond in his possession. And the same can be said for Ned and Evelyn McLean.
2: The Hope Diamond is rare, even among the rarest of gems, but its curse seems more like a circumstantial byproduct of the lifestyles that its owners led.
1: As they say, more money, more problems. And you would have needed a lot of money to count yourself among the owners of the Hope Diamond. Today, the diamond rests in the Smithsonian Museum
2: in Washington, D.C., where anyone can come observe it.
1: Perhaps for everyone's sake, that is for the best. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back Thursday with a new episode. You can find all previous episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, as well as all of
2: ParCast's other shows on Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts.
1: Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and
2: Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden, Unexplained Mysteries is written by Christian Cernoscis and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.